This episode of Tub Talk is brought to you by Avast Business. With over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast Business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tubblog.co.uk forward slash Avast for all the links to the details. Right now, though, let's jump into our featured interview. Well, hello there. Richard Tubb here, back again with another interview. And I'm joined today by a very dear friend of mine, Dr. Simon Raybold. You would probably get annoyed, Simon, for saying that you're a very, that I'm a very dear friend of yours. Probably stronger acquaintance, you'd say, from your yeah, time. Yeah, I, I, can you're a manifestation of the voices in my head. I think that's <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Dr. Simon Raybold is a presentations trainer. He is my go-to guy um, for presentations. This is a man who I've learned an incredible amount uh, about uh, presence on stage, about presenting, public speaking, about putting together presentations and slide decks. So all joking aside, Simon, let's just start out by saying I am hugely uh, grateful for all of the help that you've given me. And more than that, my audiences are probably really, really <laughs> grateful that you've given me that help. <laughs> oh, it's very flattering, very kind of you to say so, but you're an absolute delight to work with Richard. Oh. So the topic of today's conversation uh, is presentations. Now, the main people who are going to be listening to this uh, podcast, to uh, to Tub Talk, are the owners of IT businesses. Mm. So merely by saying public speaking, at least 90% of the audience is absolutely free out at this point. Yeah. However, I'm a former MSP, managed service provider owner myself. I know that any type of uh, presentations, be it sales presentations, be it getting up in front of a room full of uh, people at a networking event, or indeed getting up on stage, you know, and just uh, representing your business is one of the best ways to establish authority, to yeah. position yourself as an expert. So it is a skill I would argue that any business owner needs to take. Um, what would you have to say to that? Almost any business owner. There are some people who are just, now rephrase that, anybody can learn it for a few people, and it is genuinely a few people, the hassle-benefit ratio is not worth it. Mm. Um, but anybody can learn it, yes. And it's not anything that is difficult to learn because most of what I teach people is, is it, in retrospect, it's common sense. Um, the answers to the questions I ask people are not difficult. The difficult thing is remembering to ask yourself those questions in the first place. Yeah. And IT people, to be honest, there are two, I'm going to massively stereotype hugely now, so just bear with me. But there are two issues that IT people in particular have. The first is that there's a preponderance of introverts. Um, so they're not instinctively wanting to go out there. But we can come to that later on because actually introverts are, are better to work with than extroverts on stage. And the other problem they've got is that they suffer hugely, hugely, hugely from the curse of the expert, which is that they know what they are doing so very, very, very much that they're unable to figure out why other people can't understand it. <laughs> Yeah. And they can't figure out what's critical, what's important, what's nice to have and what's irrelevant. Because actually from an IT operator's perspective, all of it is critical because you can't take away bits of it and expect the system to work. But presentations don't like work like that. Other people's brains don't work like that. You have to tell the other person what's in it for them rather than how you do it. 
Yeah. Now, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a moment. You and I have spoken uh, about this. I do, I'm a professional speaker. I speak at a lot of IT events. I would like to think that over the years, I've at least reached a uh, a sort of a basic level of understanding. You are very good. I've seen you do your thing. You're very good. Thank you. Uh, I wasn't fishing for a compliment there. What I was going to say is, unfortunately, the vast majority of presentations that I see, especially in the IT industry, are what they fall into the trap that you've just talked about. They tend to be dull. They tend to be focused on detail and they don't tend to move people to, uh, to action very much. So let's jump into that. First of all, what does the structure of a good presentation look like? How can somebody who is, and let me rewind a little bit, actually, Simon, and just say, I've, uh, if it appears as though I've just knocked people who are getting on stage there in the IT industry to speak, I'm absolutely not. I'm in awe of anybody who has got the balls to actually stand up there yeah, oh, and present yeah. to people. Absolutely, but, hell yeah. But I've seen so many people who I just feel as though with a bit of training, with a bit of help, could do so much better. So what does a good presentation look like? What it, can I tell you what it doesn't do? Is that Please. an easier? Yeah, okay. What it doesn't do is tell me what's inside the box. Uh, and IT experts know what's inside the box so very, very well because they work inside the box. Um the bad news is that audiences don't care about what's inside your box. They care about what that box does. Um, okay, I'm going to use an IT example here. Now, I'm sticking my neck out because there's going to be somebody in the audience who is going to say yes to this rhetorical question. Um, but very, very often on stage, I ask people, how many of you have used a spreadsheet? And everybody put their hands up. How many of you have used, um, let's assume it's Excel because that's the most common one perhaps, how many of you have sorted a column of data in Excel and everybody puts a hand up? And then I ask them, and how many people actually know the algorithm which is coded into the software that does the sorting of the data? And nobody puts their hand up, because of course they don't. Followed by, and who cares what the algorithm is? I don't care. I don't know. I don't care. What I care of is a little black box. There's the box. Random data in, black box does its thing, sorted data comes out the bottom. But if you're an IT expert who lives and works on the stuff inside that little black box, when you stand up on stage, what you do is start to open up the little black box and tell people all about the inside of the little black box. Well, that's only interesting to you because you're inside the little black box. Um, What I want is someone to say, tell me about the sort functions in Excel. And they go, well, you can use it to do this. And it works like this. Right? You press this button, here's the advantage of it. I don't want someone to say, well, it's a bubble sort, which is yada, 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 and why it is so inefficient, yada, 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 because it is, as far as I can figure it out. It's just a bog-standard bubble sort. I don't know for sure, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, I need to know what it does, how I use it, what the advantages are to me, not what the technical little nitty-gritty. And that's the problem that IT people have, because they start talking about the how it does things rather than the what it does and why it does. Um, Which kind of answers your question in a long roundabout way, which is a good presentation tells people why something matters and how to do it. Not the nitty gritty of press this button, yada, 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 because the research is very clear. People can't remember that. That level of detail just goes straight. If you want people to remember that, they have to sit down with a video or a book or a piece of paper or a piece of and just do it over and over and over and over. Telling them stuff on stage is immensely, immensely inefficient. 
So the stuff you can, best stuff you can do from a presentation is to get people to want the data. That's the key thing. Get them, get them to emotionally engage so that they want the data. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to share what I think is a truth that I've learned about presentations okay. as well, about learning uh, presenting skills. It, they aren't just used for presenting. <laughs> They're used in all aspects of business. So the example that you've just given, you know, I, uh, about not talking about what's in the box, about, uh, you know, talking about the benefits, um, mm -hmm. you know, of what, what the box can do for you. Um, I spend uh, a lot of my time working with uh, IT solution providers, managed service provider, business owners all over the world. And the number one challenge, especially that technicians have, is in sales meetings, they talk about what, how the product works, which is fascinating, endlessly fascinating, Simon, to geeks like me and to other people in the IT industry. But what you've just talked about is when you're on stage, don't do that. When you're in a sales situation, don't do that. So presentation, a, these are transferable skills as well. Absolutely. There is a dirty trick you can use if you discover you've done that without thinking about it. There is a dirty trick you can use to help recover, which is to add the phrase, which means that. Um, so, you know, I've come across IT guys who've gone, it's got eight USB ports. Well, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it's got you eight USB ports and they've seen me go, they've seen me mentally go, I don't care. And they've gone, which means that you can use shed loads of peripherals at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and it's the fact that I can use shed loads of peripherals on my laptop that, that matters to me. Not that I've got eight USB ports for the record before anybody starts screaming at me. That is a method. I, I've not, I've not got a laptop with eight USB ports. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've just made that example up. So don't don't go getting too literal on me. And they're all, every going, what, a, a laptop with eight USB ports. I must start Googling this to find out to find out what it is. Yeah, you'll get you'll get a load of emails from the IT industry saying, you know, I listened to your presentation. What really struck me with this laptop with eight USB ports, tell me more about that. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I'm making that up. I'm making that up. Um, so it, it's but it, it's just a dirty trick for how to recover. If you find yourself, you've gone down this rabbit hole of talking about what's inside the box. Um, I've just realized that I'm using a lot of gesticulation today to demonstrate what's inside the box. And if people can't see me, that's not going to make any difference. It's, uh, it's really good for radio, Simon. Great well, face so. for radio. Thank you. Um, so if, if you've discovered you've opened the box and you started talking about what's inside the box, you can recover a little bit by going, which means that, because that's the bit that people care about. Um, and very, very often, a, a good way of designing a presentation is when you rehearse, when you devise it, is to talk to people, talk to yourself, as it were, and then go, which means that, then answer that bit, and then go back to all the bits that lead up to the phrase, which means that, and take that out of your damned presentation. <laughs> because all people care about is the bit that follows the which means that. It's a clumsy, slow way of doing it, but it's, you know, it's better than wasting your audience's time. Mm, no, and, and again, that's a wonderful tip. I've been doing this for many, many years now, and I've sort of learned the hard way about these things, and that's another wonderful tip that I've picked up uh, from you. I still do it from time to time, which leads me to one of the biggest curses that I see that uh, IT presenters have, and that's that they are experts. They know an awful, awful lot. Now, yeah. the listeners of this podcast are a smart and very beautiful bunch. I've met lots of them. And uh, I would go as far as to say that a lot of people listening to this are going to be world class at the yep. technical subject that they have. 
that then unfortunately leads to being on stage and just trying to do a download of everything in your brain, which leads to overload. Perhaps you could, can you give the audience a little bit of tips on how to avoid that trap? Yeah, we, there's a, a dirty trick that we use. This is a crude trick, so don't take it too literally. Just take the idea and run with it. Uh, we talk about something called the Twitter test which is it? if your presentation suddenly got washed away, like the Desert Island Disc stuff where it washes away seven of the tracks and you're only left with a presentation which you had to get into one single tweet. Now, I'm old school Twitter, so that's 140 characters. <laughs> if you have to get it into a single tweet, what would, you, what would the takeaway be? What would the call to action be? What would the thing that changed? What would the gift, is the jargon we use, what would the gift be that you gave people in 140, 140 characters? Uh, so mine would be something like, most presentations suck. This presentation gives you rules to make your presentations less sucky. Um, maybe less sucky is a bad adjective, but you, you know you get the idea. You get what I'm, you get what I'm going with. Um, so if you force yourself down to one tweet, it turns out that it won't solve your problem. But what it will do is start you thinking in the right way. And then a technique that we've evolved quite a lot is to apply the Twitter test technique iteratively. So the whole presentation is, what's the presentation? Can we get it in a tweet? But then also to ask ourselves the same question about the Twitter test, about every single paragraph and every single slide and every single story. Can I explain this slide in 140 characters? If yes, okay. If no, the slide needs to be simplified. And when I say, can it be explained in 140 characters, I want to go further and go, can it be explained in 140 characters to somebody who does not already know the freaking answer? Uh, that's the, that's the, 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 so the, the trick then we use sometimes is to borrow an audience, um, find, a, find a, a teenager or something that knows nothing about your topic and practice a presentation to them. And we say teenagers for, for a reason. Obviously, make sure that the teenager is yours and willing and, and all that kind of... <laughs> either that or pay them or something or just give them back when you're done or whatever. But, you know, the reason we say teenagers is because they know nothing about your subject matter, but that they learn incredibly quickly. And that best simulates an audience. Um, 12, 13, 14-year-olds are, are great. And the third advantage of them is that 12, 13, 14-year-olds are brutally honest. <laughs> they are indeed. <laughs> They're just brutal, frankly. You know, what was that slide? No, that slide's rubbish. You know, I, they're really honest about it. Um, so imagine you're giving your presentation to 12 or 13-year-olds and you're giving it a tweet at a time. Now, I know that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a weird thing to say to people who are experts in the field. Imagine that you're giving the presentation to non-experts, but it's a really powerful way of making sure that your presentation is simple enough in terms of its delivery for people to be able to get it. Wonderful advice. Now, I've mentioned, you know, I've been speaking for quite some time and uh, some people who are listening to this might be absolutely new to speaking or listening to this. Oh, okay, you've not scared me off so far. Uh, I, you know, um, I know that speaking is something that maybe I should do, but it just scares the wits out of me. Simon, if somebody were to come to you and to say, I've got this opportunity to speak, I'm really terrified of it. How would you set their fears at okay. ease? There are a number of tools I can teach them for controlling nerves. Um, I think the thing that's most useful to mention just in the podcast is that it's best if this thing is done with intent. So if somebody has come to you and said, I think you'd be great fit for my audience, why don't you speak on so-and-so? 
in a sense, that is already too late because that has already raised the stakes. Because people aren't scared of stuff. People are scared of the consequences of stuff. Okay, so I'm not frightened of falling off a wall. I am frightened of falling off a wall and hurting myself. Three feet off the ground, I'm a great rock climber. 30 feet off the ground, I'm much more cautious about things because the the significant, the, the consequences are greater. So why would, if somebody comes to you and says, you're a great fit for my audience, would you do a presentation? They should not, should not be your first presentation because the consequences of screwing that up are significant. What you should be doing are looking for presentation situations where you can give presentations when screwing up doesn't matter. Um, so, for example, we always talk about giving your presentations the first or second or third time you give that presentation. Give it to a bunch of people who can't buy from you or something like that, or who are never going to understand it or who are never going to be interested in what you're saying. Because then if you get it wrong, nothing is lost. And the consequences of that are trivial. Um, so, you know, doing it to an empty room is fine because there's nobody there, obviously. The next stage is giving it to a bunch of people who just don't care, a small bunch of people who just don't care. So, a stupid example, if you're going to a networking meeting and you want to make a pitch about being an IT provider or whatever, don't go to a networking organisation where your target clients are. Because if you screw that up, everything goes horribly wrong. And you'll get nervous because you might screw it up. Better to go to a bunch of people who are all, I don't know, maybe other IT providers or whatever. Mm. So you can't sell to them because they can do it for themselves. And that means you can practice, I'm not going to say in a safe space, but in a safe where screwing up doesn't matter, where the consequences don't matter. And then when you've got a bit more experience and practice, that's the point when you should start saying yes to people who go, I think you're a great fit for my audience. Yeah. Okay, so, so with a point where Bill come to you and go, I think you're a great fit for my audience. That is the second tier of presenting, if you like. The first tier is that level where you go to them and go, actually, do you know what? I'm not a fit for your audience, but can I have a go anyway? Mm. <laughs> it sounds weird to say it like that, but you get the you know you get the idea because it's not the presenting that frightens people; it's the the audience consequence that frightens people. Should people be seeking out speaking opportunities then? Should they be volunteering at their local networking group or those type of things to try and get practice at this? Yeah, yeah. Start small. Just go to somebody else's presentation and ask a question. And then when you've got okay about framing a question, um, maybe speak at, uh, at that thing for... Now, here's the tricky bit. I was going to say, just, just for a two-minute presentation, I was going to say, but actually, you know as well as I do that framing a two-minute presentation is harder than framing a two-hour presentation because oh, you've got yeah. to read some of it. But start, start with a question and then go to presentations that don't matter and then start going to presentations that do matter, um, but gradually move up the way so that by the time you're at the point where people start asking you to speak, you've got some mileage under your belt. That's the perfect way of doing it. In reality, I am fully aware of the fact that that's not what happens. <laughs> what happens is that people get a reputation for being smart, for being helpful, and then somebody comes along and goes, you absolutely know what you're talking about. I've got an audience who wants to know about this. Why don't you put the two things together? Um, but my advice always is, as long as you've got more than two weeks to get your act together, practice it in front of other people. Yeah, love it. And you mentioned uh, framing a, a very small presentation, sort of two minutes. I can actually give a real world example. Um, and this is going to lead on to a question about practical 
speaking uh, techniques and practical speaking advice. I gave a presentation at a Microsoft event once, and it was just three minutes. Uh, strict hard, three minutes hard. they actually put a clock up behind me and you know then it counted down so no pressure Richard uh, <laughs> I by the end of that presentation by the end of that three minutes which by the way felt like three hours um, all I could hear was the sound of my own voice and not what I was saying because I'd not breathed at all in the three minutes or so it felt so anyway the reason I say that is like everybody gets nerves but um I learned a valuable lesson that day about the the power of breathing on stage and making sure that you slow down and don't build the uh, carbon dioxide up in your head because it sends you slightly uh, loopy. Uh, could you offer any more sort of uh, practical uh, sort of techniques? There is a bit of me that wants to go, you, loopy, how would anybody tell? But <laughs> I'm, anybody I'm, tell the I'm not going to make that. I'm not going to make that joke. Thank okay, you, mate. So, <laughs> so starting from, from, from the very beginning, the obvious thing to do is to practice breathing in the correct way. There are two ways of breathing, and I, I, I don't mean in and out. Um, uh, there are the two ways of getting the in and the out. One is to use your diaphragm. One is to use your intercostal muscles. Your intercostal muscles are the ones that you use when you're panting. You kind of you run for a bus or upstairs, and you're going because <laughs> it's designed to get air in and out very quickly. But it's hardwired to your fight or flight reflex, and it produces adrenaline and all the stress muscles or the stress hormones. I'm sorry. That's what happens when people go on stage because they start to breathe in that stressy way and then they get the adrenaline, which makes them more stressed and it becomes lightheaded and all that kind of... The stuff that you're talking about there when you can't think because you're just plowing stuff through. Um, the other way of breathing is to use your diaphragm and that's the, if you've ever got any kids, that's the best way of breathing because you'll see them just kind of breathing with their belly. It calms you down, it slows you down, it means that your breathing sounds more natural, your voice sounds more natural. In fact, as I do it, as I start doing it now, you probably, depends on how good my microphone is and how good your speaker systems are, but you'll find that as I breathe more with my diaphragm, my voice actually starts to get even perhaps slightly lower, it slows you down, it makes you sound calmer, it makes you sound more authoritative on stage and that kind of stuff. So the very, very first thing to practice is making sure you don't breathe here in your chest, but you breathe down in your belly. Um, anybody who's got a baby will have seen them do that breathing, you know, the kind of the, the belly breathing stuff. So that's, that's point one. Uh, number two, there's a technique I use called peripheral vision, which I'm really fond of, really, really like which builds upon this idea of fight or flight reflexes uh, because one of the hormones involved in your fight or flight reflex uh, narrows down what you pay attention to. So the idea is that you pay more and more attention to fewer and fewer things. From an evolutionary perspective, that's great. If you see a saber-toothed tiger, you want to pay all the attention to the saber-toothed tiger and ignore the flowers that are around the place. Um, it's less useful from a presenter's point of view because it means you're looking at the audience the audience is the only scary thing in the room and your brain obsesses about them. So for 100% of your brain is focusing on the only thing in the room that, that scares you. Well, using, if you use the peripheral vision technique and become consciously aware of everything you can see out of the corners of your eye, you put the audience, the scary thing, back into context. So for example, I'm looking at you now on the screen. If I pretend that you're the scary thing, I start to freak out because I've got a sort of a 27-inch um, Richard Tubbs head on the screen in front of Terrifying. me. Terrifying. 
Uh, well, actually, 27 inches is about life size, isn't it? That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, if I, if I pretend that you're scary and I get obsessed about that, I, I'm going to freak out. But if I become consciously aware of my peripheral vision, I'm aware of a microphone, that's not scary. The window, that's not scary. A photograph of my goddaughter, that's not scary. Stuff on the wall, that's not scary. My spare glasses case, that's not scary. My printer, that's not scary. Bookshelf, that's not scary. And I'm just going through a list of things that are not scary to put the Richard Tubb scary thing in the context of one thing amongst many. The only hard part about that technique is remembering to use it. <laughs> And there's a third technique which I'm really fond of, which is very, very useful, very, very commonly used actually when I'm working with IT professionals. It is not to stop you being anxious, but it is to stop you sounding anxious, which is almost as good. And that is, I want you to think of the first sentence of your presentation, which it shouldn't be, but let's pretend for the sake of argument now it's, hello, my name is Richard Tubb. And then I want you to think of a sentence that goes before that, and we'll call this new sentence sentence zero. When you start to speak and you're nervous, all the air that comes out is the nervous stuff at the top of your breath, and you sound really scared. So what I want you to do is breathe out and in your head, say sentence zero and then sentence one in one breath. So that by the time you've got to sentence one, all this high pressure out the top of your lungs has gone and you've breathed out in your head going sentence zero, and then you get to sentence one, and you sound calmer, cooler, more collected, slower, uh, slower speaking, and all of that kind of jazz, because the high pressure has already been burnt off. So for example, uh, I did a gig yesterday at uh, a university near me, and my sentence zero was, oh, there's only about two thirds the number of people here that I was expecting. That means I'm going to have spare handouts and Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Dr. Simon Raybould. If I'd just gone in with, good everybody, afternoon, everybody, my name is Dr. Simon Raybould, I, I would have sounded nervous. The only thing you have to remember is that you breathe out all the way through sentence zero and you carry on breathing out through sentence one. You don't go, breathe out through sentence zero, <gasps> take a big panic-stricken breath and then start because that defeats the whole the whole point of the exercise the idea is to get rid of as much air as you can reasonably before you start speaking wonderful um, advice i've never heard that before that's fantastic sentence zero i use it a lot with it guys because uh, they for some reason i say guys women as well um they find it easy just to create that i don't know why but they find it easy just to, to create that technical thing and it gets the technical stuff out of their head you know so, oh right i see somebody there is using a such and such a laptop well i good afternoon my name is um, the only other thing i would say is make sure sentence zero is clean um, just in case you accidentally <laughs> say it out loud. I've, I've never done that yet, but there is a first time. There is a first time for everything. And that, that's a technique that I use. I use that a lot. I mean, I've been professionally speaking now for 10, 12 years, and that's one of the techniques that I use. Um, the other techniques I've got are slightly harder to explain without physically being in the room, but those that should get people started, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So something else that you, you, you've touched upon there is the, the thought of slowing down mm. when you're presenting. Now, uh, I am very prone to being excitable. I love talking. I'm extroverted and just go on. As we've already touched upon with that Microsoft presentation, that leads to me running out of air, collapsing to the stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. gasping a lot. Um, 
I actually I delivered a keynote presentation um, to an audience in Paris a couple of years ago at uh, a BMSP, uh, a big uh, conference over there, MSPCon. It was the first time that I had spoken to an audience whose uh, who English wasn't their first language. So I purposely forced myself to slow right down, you know, to uh, to be very clear about what I'm saying. It was a revelation, <laughs> Simon. Um, Talk to us about the power of slowing down and this weird thing that we can have as presenters where we think that a split second on stage okay. is, <laughs> is absolutely forever for the audience and the audience are just thinking, yep. yeah, he's going at a good pace. Okay, so do you remember a couple of moments ago I mentioned this hormone that, that narrows down your field of vision? Yes. One of the other things it does is speed your brain up. Um, think of it as being the mental equivalent to adrenaline. So you know how adrenaline pumps up your muscles and makes you faster and stronger and stuff like that? There's a, a, a mental equivalent called cortisol. It speeds up your brain. So you can't judge time the way that normally you would judge time. So the example that I, I, I tend to favor is, um, Richard, have you, had a, um, have you had a car crash ever? Or a near miss in a car, yeah. Yes. yes. You're nodding at me. Just say yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Now, um, my apologies to everybody. I am going to swear here, just mildly, but this is genuinely what we call it. If I said to you, "How long is the oh shit moment?" Would you know what I meant by the oh shit moment and how long it was? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, how long is the oh shit moment then? Split second. Yeah. How long does the oh shit moment feel? Uh, yeah, it slows right down. It feels like it goes on for a, a while. That's it. And that's not because God hates you enough to slow the world down to make you suffer. That, you know, she might, but that's not the point. That's because your brain speeds up, because your brain is trying to find a way out of the situation that you are in. And that's exactly what happens to you when you're on stage. Your brain goes into this overdrive thing uh, where you're going, right, that was 10 seconds. And the audience has only perceived it as two seconds. And that's because your brain has speeded up fivefold. The ways to combat that are to do things like put timers into the slide notes um, so that you can see, okay, this is seven minutes in, not 27 minutes in, uh, and that kind of thing. But also the breathing thing that I've just mentioned slows you right down because you can't speak too quickly if you are breathing with your diaphragm. If you find that you're going very quickly, it's almost certainly because you're breathing with your intercostal muscles. And there's a whole bunch of research that says if you speak too quickly and if you speak so quickly that people can't understand you, your credibility goes down and they trust your content less. Um, I kind of, by analogy, I don't take this too literally, but by analogy, who are you going to listen to most? Is it the wise old man who says a few choice, calm words after thinking about it, or Eddie Murphy on, on amphetamines? You know, he's just spraying stuff at you and you have to try and filter it out. So the idea is to give people less stuff, but give it to them in a more digestible way. So you do the digesting for them and then give them the, the end product. Now, the thing that always makes everybody nervous, particularly, I think, IT folks, is that they're frightened of silence because they think that silence goes on forever. And you know and I know that a one-minute silence, one-second silence, I'm sorry, a one-second silence on stage feels like freaking forever. Oh, yes. Um, 
the knack is just to remember that it's only one second, and you can do that by watching your audience. But even if there is quite a lot of silence on stage, that's not a bad thing because that gives your audience time to assimilate what you have just said. And that is critical because one of the main things that goes wrong in presentations is that people power hose information at their audience. The audience can't assimilate it. If they can't assimilate it, they can't remember it. If they can't remember it, they can't act on it. If they can't act on it, their presentation was a waste of time. So better to say less, better to have longer pauses so that your audience can get the grip of what you're saying and then they'll be able to do something with it. You know, better to give them three ideas that they can remember and use than to give them 30 ideas that they cannot remember and use. Yeah. Silence is great. I like silence. I'm a fan of silence. There was a wonderful lady called Kathy Alper who worked at uh, CompTIA Trade Association in the IT industry. And she uh, very kindly, she saw me uh, speak uh, on stage at the one time right when I was starting out and was kind enough to approach me afterwards and say, great presentation. And here's how I would make it even better. So she was very kind at that. Uh, And she taught me a technique of if I found myself going too fast to scrunch my toes up and to count to three. And I've shared that with other people, and I know every uh, presentation trainer will, you know, have their, their their own techniques to 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 encourage speakers to slow down. I've shared that with other people who are who are going to go and speak on stage, and they said, "I could never do that three seconds." And yet, whenever I've seen anybody as a speaker on stage pause, it actually lends a certain level of gravitas to them because you think um, this person is very considered with their presentation. Absolutely, absolutely. I About 10 years ago now, I did some work with um, Vice President of SecureWorks, kind of in, Dell's Internet Security Division. Um, and I insisted, absolutely insisted, that he put a 10-second silence into the middle of something that he said. Knowing full well, of course, that he was never going to put a 10-second silence, but we, we rehearsed it with a 10-second silence. He, he presented with a three-second silence because he thought that was 10 seconds because his brain had speeded up. And I watched the video of it. I watched the audience hang on what he was about to say because that three seconds made them, it gave them the space to answer the question in their heads that he had just asked them and then go, oh, yeah. Yeah, that does apply to me. Actually, yeah, I am interested in this. Tell me more. Uh, and they, it increased the audience's attention on, on, on the presenter there spectacularly. I can't, you know, I, I can't do a, a scientific experiment to run that presentation twice, once with, the, you know, once with the pause and once without. So I don't know how much, more, how much more powerful it made it, but I could just, I could see it just in the video it is obvious they lean forward they listen they want to know what he is saying just because he put a three second silence into his presentation at a key point a three second silence which by the way he thought was 10 seconds Mm. (laughs) let's talk about the type of presentations then i had an epiphany about this, a revelation many years ago. I was at a, a closed group event of the great and the good in the IT industry in a very posh location in London. And there was a lady gave a presentation that I was blown away by. She was so polished. It was uh, it was a performance almost. It was fantastic. And I was just incredible. And you can hear the room fizzing afterwards. Oh, my goodness, this was great. And I turned to uh, the chap who was next to me. He was actually um, a very senior figure in Dell at the time. And I said, wasn't she good? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And he paused for a few seconds and said, I haven't got a clue what I'm going to do. 
with mm-hmm. any of the inf- what she talked about. And for me, the revelation, Simon, was that you know um, uh, you can give you can be a very polished presenter, a very confident presenter, but if the content that you're delivering doesn't have any practical value to the audience, it is yeah. just a performance. I- I'm intrigued your views uh, on this. Okay, so we have what we call the gift, which is what is the thing the audience is going to weigh, going to go away and use. That's that's it, right? And the re- and the presentation is just the wrapping of the gift. <laughs> um, it's a crude analogy, but if you don't know what the gift is, how the hell are you going to wrap it? Is 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 a starting point. So we always start from the gift, um, but we talk a lot about the three levels of of measuring impact. Um, level one is how well the presenter thought it went. You know, they look at it and go, yeah, I was on fire. I'm a nine out of 10. And level two is how well the people in the room thought it went. And you just identified a nine out of 10 there. You, the room was fizzing. You thought she was great and all of that kind of jazz. But actually what matters is level three impact, which is what does the audience do with that information after they have left the room? I always advise my presenters to consider which of those three things is important to them. And they will always say, obviously, level three is important because that's kind of what IT people are like. They don't, it's not about the glory, it's about the content for them. So we have conversations then about how you can make it more likely that people are going to act upon what you're going to give them. Um, and that boils down to things like telling them why it matters not just what to do, <laughs> telling them ha- what their next step is, um, what the call to action is. Give them a very clear, frictionless call to action. Don't assume that people are going to know what they are supposed to do. I mean, you'll have seen, seen, I'm sure, all of that research where if you shout, if you go, it's not true anymore, but if you used to go into a Japanese school and shout earthquake, nobody did anything. If you shout earthquake, get under the desks, then they all got on the desks because they understood why they were supposed to do it and what they were doing. Um, So you need to give them those two things. And there are other dirty tricks, like if you want to look really slick, you take a deep breath at the beginning of your presentation and you just go through it in this beautiful performance all the way through. But if you want people to remember stuff, there's a trick you can use where you you look back to things and you say stuff like, oh, hang on, sorry, you know, about five minutes ago when I was talking about topic X, now that makes you look less polished, it reduces your level two impact. People don't think you're quite so slick. But actually, it also, at the same time, increases your level three impact because by saying, oh, hang on a second, sorry, I should have mentioned this five minutes ago. Do you remember when I talked about so-and-so? They have then to dredge up their memory of five minutes ago <laughs> and remember what the hell you were talking about five minutes ago. And that process of actively trying to do something makes it more likely that they will remember it. So for a stupid example, embarrassingly stupid example, working with some IT guys recently, bigger group than I normally want to work with, but I'd given them all a workbook. Um, And I said, there's an acronym for this. I've forgotten what page it's on. The acronym is PARC, P-A-R-C. I forgot what what, what page it's on. Um, Just scoot through. First person to find, just, just shout out for the rest of the group what page number it's on. Now that made me look like I didn't know my own workbooks. Well, hell, you know, I, work, I, I wrote the freaking thing. I know my own workbooks. Um, but what it did was it made them look for it. It made them engage with it. And they were much more likely to remember it and trust it because they had looked for it and found it. And at the point when they turn into page 13 and go, ah, oh, here it is. There's that moment of, okay, I've got it. Now what do I do with it? And they're much more likely to remember it. So 
I sacrifice my level two impact for the sake of my level three impact. Now, there are zillions of examples I can give of that, but for the sake of this conversation, I hope I've done enough just to give you the idea. You're looking for the, the level three impact. On the other hand, there are times when level two is what you need to do. So you saw me make a presentation just before Christmas. Now, I like to think that the content there was level three impact. It was about how to overcome nerves and step out of your confidence zone and, and all of that kind of jazz. But I was acutely aware that given the nature of the group, I had to look good. So a lot of the stuff that I did on level there was actually level two stuff. So I, I literally, I finished the session playing the drum. You'd be remember that one. I do and there was there was no need for that but it just made me look good um because I'd done I'd sat down over a cup of tea with my, my wife and gone okay what's the balance I need between my level three content and my level two performance stuff and I I made a conscious decision about how much to talk about you know how much to push each if you just go for purely level three people don't trust you because you look like an amateur if you go purely level two people don't remember it because it's a recited performance the question is how much of each one of those two things that you, that you look for that's a really long answer to a very simple question no <laughs> It's, it, don't be sorry because it's a great answer and um, so valuable as well because um, I see a lot of presenters who are absolutely polished, different stuff, but the content, there is very little, uh, if anything, practical for, for the audience to take away. So the audience are wowed for, for, for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, "Oh, what did they speak about? What was that presentation about?" And he goes there. So I'm I'm a big fan in um, you know getting practical takeaways for the audience. Yeah, and sometimes that, that sometimes that boils down to and here is a handout that tells you you know the presentation is why you should do something and what you should do. Download this PDF handout to tell you how to do it. It could be something along those lines. Yeah. So let's talk about content a little bit more. For many years. And you helped educate me out of this uh, uh, <laughs> terrible uh, way of doing things, but it's the way I would say ninety percent of uh, new uh, speakers and presenters do this. When I've got an idea for a new presentation, or if I'm asked to do a presentation, I've got the idea. I immediately fire up PowerPoints, Google Slides, <laughs> and ever just for the, uh, a radio moment for the benefit of the audience, if you can't hear that, Simon's now holding his head in his hands. Uh, but so many people I know listening to this will do exactly the same as I did for years. They will find, fire up Google Slides and start throwing their ideas down into a slide deck. Or they might, I've done this before, fire up uh, Word or Google Docs and start yep. writing out what you want to say. Why is that a bad idea, Simon? because it's almost impossible. There are very, very few people. Michelangelo could do it, um, Leonardo da Vinci could do it, but almost nobody, normal people, cannot think creatively and logically at the same time. And as soon as you start to think the logical thing of what slide, what goes where, how do I, and even the simple thing of how do I type? How do I turn on PowerPoint? How do I, as soon as you start to think in that sequence structured way, it physically, literally stops your brain working in a creative way of asking questions such as, what does my audience need to know? How do I need to tell them it? What's the best way of delivering this kind of thing? Uh, The second thing, of course, is that it locks you into delivering by PowerPoint. But what happens if the best way of getting your message across to people is not PowerPoint? So if, if, if the best way of getting across to people is PowerPoint, great, use PowerPoint. But have you ever tried to teach people to dance using PowerPoint? (laughs) 
that happens. Right. Well, the best way to learn to dance is to have a physical dance instructor who moves your arms and legs around. The best person, the, the best way to understand music is to play a piece of music and to and to listen to it and all that kind of jazz. PowerPoint's not is not the be all and end all. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying PowerPoint is evil. Bullet points are, but PowerPoint isn't. Um, if PowerPoint is the right thing to do, then great. But if it isn't, then you should be using, you know, if the best way to do it is dancing elephants, use dancing elephants. Um, I'd love to see the risk assessment for that, but it's worth it's, it's worth thinking well, about. Say the IT conferences I go to would be made a whole lot more interesting if we had dancing elephants. But anyway, forgive the interruption. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So you've got two two really big things there. The first is it, it stops you thinking in any way creatively. Um, and that's that's I cannot begin to describe how important that is. Uh, and the second thing is it locks you into using PowerPoint and PowerPoint's ways of PowerPoint's ways of thinking. Um, the same is true, by the way, if you're using something like Prezi. It, it, the problem is that it locks you into the software's way of thinking. And if that's not the right way, Prezi is perhaps even worse because it's so bloody difficult to use. So so much of your brain is taken up going, how do I use Prezi? There is none of your brain left for how do I talk to my audience? Mm. Um, so every presentation terrain will tell you the same thing. Get away from the laptop, get away from the slides, get away from the, uh, turn everything off that's got a button <laughs> and work somewhere else. Work on pen and paper, go to the coast, go to the cafe, go somewhere to get a different and fresh perspective and ask yourself the following questions. What does my audience already know? By the end of the presentation, what do I need them to know as well? Therefore, what do I need to tell them? Fairly obviously, that's the content of your presentation. And question four is, given the content of that presentation, what is the best way to tell them it? Now, sometimes it might be PowerPoint, but come to that, come to that logically. Because there's a, a shared load of research that says the best way to learn something depends, or sorry, the best way to explain something, I'm sorry, depends upon what it is that you're explaining. So if you are explaining dance, the best way to explain it is by movement and all of that kind of jazz. And I get that you sometimes can't dance on stage. I understand that entirely. I can't dance anywhere under any circumstances. You know, <laughs> there should be a law against me dancing. <laughs> I, I Seriously, I didn't even dance at my wedding, and that was for the benefit of everybody else. Um, but if you if you want to, maybe you end up simulating something. So, for example, you can't make people scared with a PowerPoint, but you can simulate fear by showing them something frightening. Um, and that's that's the way forward. But you don't think of that if what you're doing is the logic of how do I – is it is it Control-5 or Control-Shift-4 whilst flapping my elbow? Because let's face it, the interface of PowerPoint was designed by – I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Bear in mind who your audience are, Simon. Yep. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> if you design the interface for PowerPoint, shame on you. And could we have words? Because unless you try very hard, you couldn't have made a worse job of it. But the harder you fight with that, the less space there is for doing anything else. And I can hear my audience going, "It's dead easy. Any fool can operate the interface to PowerPoint." Question: How would you know unless you've used something better? How would you know? And pen and paper takes no brain whatsoever. It's completely intuitive. We can start to think in completely and utterly different ways. And for the first time, I think today, I'm going to stick my neck out and go away from the research and give my personal opinion, which is that IT people 
are particularly prone to this for a number of reasons. The first is they tend to think logically and sequentially and not necessarily creatively. That's not a bad thing for what you do. It's just not helpful for designing presentations. And the second thing is they are, in my experience, very, very much rule followers. Uh, and if they see somebody doing it in a way that sort of works, then they will do it like that because it's safer and there are instructions and all of that kind of jazz. Uh, whereas if you want to be a really good presenter, you don't do what everybody else does. You do what is best for the message. I can't begin to describe how important that is. Ignore your audience. Do what matters for the message. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And I should say I am a massive convert to this since you sort of taught me uh, the, the the concept. I uh, happily fire up uh, Google Slides and just start dumping ideas into it. Now I get post-it notes. I write things out. Well, actually, I use your presentation design pack, but we'll talk oh, yeah. more about that in a second to, to give, a, give a plug there. Uh, but genuinely, you know, pouring my ideas out onto pen and paper, um, just using post-it notes, that type of system works so much better for me. Yes, and I have, uh, as somebody who speaks a lot now, I have reduced the time that it takes me to create a presentation, um, uh, you know, by following that process. And it's just so much easier than using PowerPoint. Absolutely. I was, I was talking to somebody yesterday who's um, very, I was going to say very badly, but very significantly autistic and he found the presentation design pack an absolute revelation because it allowed him, it gave him a structured way to step away from the, it allowed him to be creative, but in a structured way, yes. <laughs> if, that, if, if that makes sense. And it that's, what it's, that's what it's designed to do. It, 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 it allows you, it is supposed to give you the, the confidence to be systematic, but without the rigidity of PowerPoint and that kind of stuff. And honestly, your presentations are great. I've seen a couple absolutely rocking. Thank you, mate. Thank you. The, the money that. is in sort of used fibers, please, as <laughs> as you non-sequentially used fibers in a brown paper envelope. Well, let's come back to, we've, we've mentioned the presentation design pack. You've also got a, a wonderful uh, book out there uh, as well that I, I absolutely want people listening to this to uh, to follow up and take away. Before we do, though, I want to jump into something that uh, I think is huge for presentations, especially in the IT industry. You mentioned it before. That's the slides themselves and bullet points, Simon. <laughs> for, for goodness sakes, bullet points. The amount of presentations that I've seen that are just a list of bullet points with somebody on stage, uh, the speaker, just looking at the bullet points and reading them out to the audience. Why is that a bad idea? Okay, lots of things. The first is that the audience can read up to 10 times faster than you can speak, which means they read the bullet points, or actually they don't even read them, they scan the bullet points, get to the end of the slide before the speaker does, and then they spend nine-tenths of the slide waiting for the speaker to catch up. So they lose interest and all that kind of, it's a real car crash. The second problem is to do with something like called, the technical term for it is dual coding. So here's, here's the idea. People often think that if you've got words coming in visually and words coming in through your ears, you're using two different media and therefore it increases the chance of the audience remembering what it is that is being said. In fact, it works the other way around. The important thing, the important word there is words. You've got words coming in through your eyes, words coming in through your ears, but no matter how they get into your brain, they are both of them processed at the same part of your brain. So now you're asking the part of your brain that interprets words to interpret twice as many words. <laughs> 
and to decode the fact they're coming through different media. So you're actually almost doubling the amount of work that the brain does rather than doubling the amount of... So people at that point, it increases what's called cognitive load. People are having to work harder to understand what you are saying. You think you're helping them because you're giving them information in two different ways. In fact, you're giving them the same information in a way that just it's it's kind of like um i don't know what's the best analogy i can think of okay so road works you've got a two lane mode a two lane road one of those lanes closes uh, so all the cars have to merge into one uh, you've got words coming in through your eyes words coming in through your ears and they they end up in the same the same lane and that goes that goes slow that filter point is is a um an effort where there's shed loads of processing going on people don't remember nearly as much uh, some research suggests that it reduces your audience's ability to remember stuff by 60 to 80 percent depending on exactly how you measure it other bits of research say it's not quite as bad as that but all the research agrees that it's an absolute if you'll pardon the pun a bit of a car crash in terms of, of i mean apart from anything else it's brit it's just boring. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> so what can we use instead? What should we have? Uh, you know, lots of uh, uh, rainbow unicorns and lovely visual <laughs> images. What should it look like, Simon? What does okay, a good slide deck look like? What a good slide deck looks like is whatever is necessary for the message that you are giving people. Okay, that's, that's the trainer's cop-out answer. Um, to be a little more helpful for people, the best way of getting information from your head into audiences' heads is to do two things. The first is to give them an emotional reason for wanting that information and then give them the information. Okay. Now, by analogy, my wife might shout upstairs to me, do you want a cup of tea, darling? Or do you want a cup of tea, Simon? And I won't pay any attention to the phrase, do you want a cup of tea? Because I don't know if she's talking to me or somebody else in the house or whatever until she says Simon. And at that point, I'm retrospectively trying to remember what the hell that she said. What she should do is put the word Simon at the beginning of the sentence, Simon. And then I pay attention. Do you want a cup of tea? Okay. Is that making, making sense? Yes. Yeah. So what you should do on a, on a, in a presentation is the equivalent of going Simon. So that, and, and that's an emotional thing that explains to people why they want the information. It is an emotional trigger that gets them interested in the rest of the sentence. And the rest of the sentence being, do you want a cup of tea? Um, or whatever the, whatever the thing is. So the very first thing you do is on your slide, you give people an emotional reason to want the data, to want the information. And then you verbally give them that information. Okay, so you might have a picture up there of um, I, your last newsletter was talking about hackers being criminals. Okay, it's, it's, it's a valid point. It's a very, a very fair point. But what you might want to put up there uh, on your slide behind you is an image of somebody who has just been hacked um, or a screenshot of somebody who's suffering from a malware attacker. Um, I don't know what the, um, a hostage thing. What you know, I ransomware. have hacked you. Yes. A ransomware. Yes. That's yes. Thank you. Um, a screenshot of some ransomware quite where you'd get ransomware screenshots from, Richard, I don't know, because obviously you and I have got good enough security to mean that that's never going to happen to us. Absolutely. <clears throat> he says, hastily and praying. But if you get that, that photograph and you put that up on the screen behind you, people go, okay, I get it. What he's going to tell us now is how to avoid that situation happening. Okay, so it is something that emotionally triggers your audience to go, okay, I get it. I want to know more. Tell me tell me more. Um, so it's usually images. Sometimes it's a quote. It could be an animation. It could be a video, whatever it is, 
but usually an image that gives your audience an emotional trigger, an emotional wake-up call so that they want the information that you give them. Yes, makes absolute sense. And again, uh, thank you publicly for helping me to understand that because I relied heavily on uh, images uh, and uh, bullet points and things like that before, and now I'm a complete convert to that. So my audience thanks you as well. <laughs> do, you, do you get paid more? That's the key thing. <laughs> Are you looking for a percentage here, Simon? Is this I'll what take you're it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 did a, I did a gig for a client once where they got £147 million worth of work on the back of a presentation that wow. I designed with them. And I was celebrating. I came home going, yeah, this is awesome. And my wife just looked at me and went, you were on a flat day rate, weren't you, you muppet? <laughs> Well, it's not 147 million, but let's. So, for, for anybody who's new to your work, you're going to have one, you know, raving fans here because it's clear that you know absolutely what you're talking about. You've worked with some of the world's top speakers, definitely some of the UK's top speakers yeah. that I've spoken to personally. Um, how do you practically help people? So, there are uh, people going to be listening to this and they say, you know what? I could see myself doing presenting. I've been scared of it. I've put it off, but I'm going to do it. So how, what does it look like practically for you to work with people? What are the different options available to you? Most of my work is when a company brings me in and I work in-house. So it may be, for example, that there is a conference presentation, a conference coming up, and they want their software engineers, their coders and all this, but they want them to be public-facing. So I'll spend some time doing that. Um, and that most that's most of my work. It's in-house stuff. Um, it's rare that I do public courses, but I do occasionally. But the most common way that people start working with me um, at the moment is to get an online clinic. So you can book a 45-minute thing where I look at your slides with you and I go, okay, this this bit sucks. Here's what you can do instead. Yada, 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 yada. Um, and the best way to book those is via the website. That's presentationgenius.info. I have to point out that the, the presentation genius.info um it that's not a name that i picked or the you know my because <laughs> that's the most egocentric title in the world that was the name of the book and that was because my last book and that was because the publishers picked the name of the book they had a series called the genius series so it's there's presentation genius sales genius marketing genius and simon you don't have to apologize to me this is a man who calls himself the it business growth expert so you are in a room full of narcissists here it's not a problem at all mate. No, it is <laughs> but it presentation is genius is the book isn't it that's, i did, yeah, I, did I, I want to make sure that people are aware of that because it is a fantastic book i still refer to it um, now, thank so. you but the presentation genius.info is a site um and from there they get all they get the blogs and the videos and stuff and they, and they can book online courses as uh, online um, uh, consultations at the same time from from that site yeah. as well and that's that's where most people start most individuals start at least as I say if you're a corporate it's just drop me a line and we, we, we have a conversation about my day rate and the fact that if it's 147 million pounds worth of work I want a percentage <laughs> of it thank you very much <laughs> You won't make that mistake twice. Okay, let's, let's jump in and talk about something we've already mentioned here, but again, this is a revelation to me. I've been doing this speaking thing for a while now. Um, you know, uh, I'm fortunate enough to, to, to get repeat bookings so I can't be doing something too wrong. Cool. And for the longest time, I didn't really have a system to speak of. 
uh, to put together these new presentations. I've got a rough system, Simon. You know, I've got ideas in my head. I know what works. I know what don't. And, and essentially, it was just an Evernote of a brain dump of ideas that I'd got. And for the longest, I'm a systems-driven guy. I'm a process guy. I'm a checklist guy. You know, I want to make sure that I follow the process because it leads to repeatable, consistent yeah. results. Really struggled with this. And then recently, you uh, let me know that you've put together your own system for speakers at the presentation design pack. And I used it for my last presentation that I delivered in London very recently. It was a revelation because it, it really helped me to just streamline that process. All these things, you know, I, I'm somebody, I, I've, I've been taught by yourself and others, I know this stuff, but I need reminding of it every single time I need mm. to deliver a presentation. So for, for people who aren't familiar with the presentation uh, design pack, tell us what it is, what it okay. practically well, does. The important thing about it is that what we haven't mentioned to the audience of, so far is that you jokingly referred to me as Dr. Simon Raybould at the beginning, and that, that's not a joke. It really is. It, I really do have a PhD. I spent 24 years as a research scientist and that's where the presentation design fact came from because I started to do proper research in terms of was there a system for capturing the best way of making a presentation? And the presentation design pack is the system for making good presentations put in a box um, and posted out to people. It's, it's as simple as that. There are various levels of it, but the, the silver pack is the one that you've got, which is the kind of semi-singing, semi-all-dancing version of it, I think, if I remember rightly. The yeah, well, I've got but, it yeah. here. Again, yeah. another great moment for radio here, so people can't see what I'm handing up, but Simon and I are on a video call, uh, and I've actually got the presentation design pack in front of me. Yeah, that's, yes, that's the, that's the silver pack that you've got, um, the, the middle of the three levels. Um, um, that arrives in the post. It is a set of idiot-proof instructions. I like to think it's idiot-proof instructions. It's been tested a lot, so it better be idiot-proof. Um, if you do this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this, you will get a good to great presentation. In all honesty, I have to put my hand on my heart and say that you won't get genius-level presentation because that takes a degree of flair. But actually, in the real world, most people, and certainly most IT, you don't need genius-level presentation. You just need good bloody good presentations because the, the bar is so low we you know i joked about it earlier on and again i've got all the uh or in the world for anybody who, who volunteers to get up in front of an audience or gets forced to get up in front of an audience and talk i've got a lot of respect for people but the bar is so low because the vast majority of presentations that all of us see are poor yeah. Yeah. So what the presentation design pack does is it takes a shed load of research about how to get good enough and good presentations, puts them in a structured system and says, follow this and your presentations will be good ones. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Absolutely. And it works. Uh, and again, I think, you know, I've recommended it to anybody um, who is doing uh, presentations. This, this is not here to do uh, a sales job for the presentation design pack, but I think it's such a valuable resource. And this is an area that I can't believe somebody has not put together a foolproof system um, for right. now and allowing people to put together. I'm, I'm confident. I, I think I'm confident about why that hasn't happened. And that's because most speakers um, aren't scientists. So what they do is they work, they, they work with what works for them. Whereas I spent 24 years as a research scientist. So I went at 
one level abstraction back from that and I looked at what works for most people most of the time. What have all those successful speakers got in common is the, the gist of it. Um, but it, it's rare to find a researcher like me who's a speaker. Um, and I think that's why there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, I'm sure there will be now. By the time I put it on the market, somebody will have copied it in six weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs> but you were the original. Simon, it has been a real thrill uh, speaking to you. I've wanted you on the podcast for so long because you are, you know, we joked about it earlier, you are a genius when it comes to enabling people to become the speaker that they can be. Oh. You've helped me. You've helped so many people. You helped my friends, uh, my great friend Nigel Moore from the Tech Tribe with his presentation across at Frankly MSP Live, his keynote presentation. Nigel he speaks was, really highly about you. He was, he was an absolute dream to work with. Apart from the fact that one of us had to get up in the middle of the night because he's in Australia. Um, he was in that, I'm not saying which of us it was that got up in the middle of the night, but I've got bags under my eyes for a reason. Um, he was an absolute dream to work with. Lovely, lovely, lovely guy. He's a wonderful guy. Um, so, Simon, before we draw uh, a, a, an end to our conversation here, there's going to be people listening to this and go, I want to get in touch with this guy. I want to continue the conversation. How can they reach you? Uh, easiest way to do it is an email to simon at presentationgenius.info. That's cool. the short Fantastic. of it. Uh, if you're on Twitter, it's at presentations. Or if you're interested in getting the presentation design pack, there's a subdomain which I'm putting together at the moment called design.presentationgenius.info. And you'll be able to buy things there from the beginning of March 2020. Fantastic. We will include all of those links in the show notes attached to this uh, episode as well. Simon, it's been a real thrill to talk presentations with you. We went into this, uh, and just to give an insight into the uh, prep routine for this, because we're both highly professional, we went into this about 30 seconds before I pressed the record button and said, well, what are we going to talk about? Let's just see where this conversation goes. So what's, I, even more, what's even more professional, um, if you listen to this in a podcast, it's great. But if you're watching the video, what's even more professional is that my wife has just stuck her head through the office door and, <laughs> and pulled a face at me because I'm supposed to be somewhere else now. On that bombshell, we will draw a line under the conversation then to, for the sake of your marriage, if nothing else. Um, I think everybody's going to get incredible value uh, listening to this. Simon, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for all that you do, not just for... Uh, on this podcast, but for the wider business community, you are enabling people to become the best version uh, of themselves that they possibly can be on stage. That's, Thank that's, you so much. That's very flattering. Thank you. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Richard here, and I wanted to give a really big shout out and to say a huge thank you to our friends at Avast for bringing this episode to you. In the face of increasingly complex threats targeting small and medium businesses, yesterday's methods are no longer enough. Cybersecurity must be quicker, smarter, and more reliable than ever before. Avast business provide a range of powerful, easy to deploy security products and management platforms designed for IT solution providers and managed service providers. Avast business offer a variety of cybersecurity products that are MSP friendly. You can choose from standalone antivirus products, managed anti
antivirus products, Cloudcare for layered endpoint and network security services, backup and recovery, content filtering, email security, patch management, and a management console to easily deploy endpoint protection solutions to devices in your client networks. These solutions are all backed by the largest, most globally dispersed threat detection network in the world. If you've not checked out Avast's secure internet gateway, then I'd recommend taking a look at the video demo that Avast's Paul Fenwick and I recorded. It delivers a full security stack as a service that protects users wherever they go. With 30 years as a leading cybersecurity company and over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast Business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tubblog.co.uk forward slash Avast for links to all the details.